0: You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional audio resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Well, Northway family, so good to be with you here this Sunday. Uh, Once again, I'm incredibly thankful for this technology that we have, this space that we have in the midst of this season, but I just gotta confess, more than ever, I long to see your face and be face-to-face once again together. More than ever, I I resonate with Paul's words to the Thessalonians in chapter two, when he said these words, since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. I don't know that I've ever been able to say those words and actually feel them like Paul was feeling them, but I feel them now. I miss you all. I pray for you daily, and uh, I am, I'm prayerfully excited for the opportunity for us to gather once more in the coming days soon. But in the meantime, we're going to continue in our series called DNA, looking at the mission, vision, and values of Northway Church. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, so if you have a Bible with you, I'd love to invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 In our DNA series, we've talked about our mission, which is a church that seeks to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ, and our vision ultimately is to see the city around us encounter the truth, goodness, and beauty that is in Christ. And then we've been walking through these undergirding values, these supporting values that help uphold the mission and the vision that we are committed to as a church. And this week, we're going to look at our 11th out of 12 values the value of equipping, that as Northway Church, we seek to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, one of the dangers of a church that is not committed to the value of equipping would be the same as having a group of soldiers who were giving, given their mission, they were given their, their marching orders, they, they were giving, uh, have been given their, their weapons and their artillery uh, to head out only to have no actual battle plan and to have never been equipped to actually use the resources that they had been given. That would utterly affect everything in the mission if those people weren't equipped for the role that they've been given. Likewise, when I think of medical professionals, maybe the opposite of what we're seeing today. Today in this COVID reality, we, we have medical professionals who are well-equipped, well well-trained, and yet uh, they don't have the resources they need. But can you imagine if it were flipped right now? What if we had all the resources that were around us? There was readily available beds and ventilators and masks, but you had personnel that had no idea how to use them. Think about the effect that that would have if we didn't have a trained personnel who knew what to do with the mission that they've been given. And sadly, this too is a reality in the church where for many local congregations have bought into the practice of hiring a very few specialized people who feel it's their job to simply provide some weekend goods and services in order to gather a crowd that seeks to consume those goods and services with the intention of never asking anything from those people other than to financially give so that they can continue the production of those goods and services to be consumed. Think about how much that affects the church and its mission when that's in play. And so the problem comes in that scenario uh, is that when, when crisis evolves or when, when the expectation is finally posed for the biblical mandate of going and making disciples, what you're going to have in that situation is a congregation, a body, a membership that is ill-prepared for the work that is expected of them, who have no idea what to do. Everyone in that category is affected. It comes down to an issue of equipping. The good news, though, that we have this morning that we're going to see here in Ephesians 4 is that we have been saved and resourced for something greater. Uh, we, We have been given not only the mission that we are to fulfill, but we have been given the resources in order to do it. And Paul's going to walk through in Ephesians chapter 4 what this looks like. Four movements you're going to see today. If you're an outliner, if you're a note taker, here you go. Four things we're going to see in Ephesians 4. A gifted membership in verses 7 through 10. A gifted leadership in verse 11. Being fully equipped, verse 12. Resulting in an anchored maturity and fruitfulness for the mission that we've been called to. Verses 13 through 16. Let's look at the gifted membership first. Look at this in verse 7 of chapter 4. Paul says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, I want you to notice a contrast here. We're going from our corporate unity that we have together in verses 1 through 6, that we looked at back in our our unity value our corporate unity, to now looking at, in verse 7 and following, our individual diversity as a church. Verses 1 through 6 spoke to the essential things that every Christian on planet Earth has in common. One body, one spirit, one hope, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, all of that is universal to every Christian who's ever lived on planet Earth. But now in verse 7, Paul moves to each one. He's going to speak to things that are now different or unique to every Christian that has ever lived on planet Earth, and that is in particular our spiritual gifting. Notice what we're told about our spiritual gifts in verse 7. First of all, every single believer in Christ's church has a unique gift, or even multiple gifts that have been given to them by Jesus Christ. Every Christian, there's not a Christian out there who has not been resourced with what Christ deems they need in order to fulfill the mission that Christ called them to. Every Christian has been given at least one gift to be used for the good of the church, as we'll soon see. Secondly, though, notice each of these spiritual gifts are given as a grace to us, meaning they are unmerited, they are unearned, they are not conditioned upon anything that we say or do. They are freely given to us, these gifts, by Jesus Christ. And thirdly, they are measured out or they are allotted by Christ according to his predetermined purposes. Romans chapter 12 verse 6 says that this measurement of these gifts are given in proportion to our faith which literally means there is a proportion of faith that we have to work in accordance with the gift that we've been given so that it can operate in its fullness. 1 Peter chapter four backs this up by saying that that God gives everyone according to the strength that they need in order to operate that gift. And so what we see these gifts are, Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 highlight what these gifts are, and they speak of these broad categories of these gifts. Gifts such as teaching, encouraging, giving, serving, mercy. A a number of these gifts, even included in these, are what John would refer to as sign gifts, gifts that ultimately demonstrate both the power of the message and the messenger of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Gifts such as prophecy, words of knowledge, the gift of languages, the gift of interpreting languages, and the effecting of miracles. These are all gifts that have been given by Christ as a grace and measured out to us. And in fact, even Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, he actually summarizes these broad categories of gifts into really two main groupings, speaking gifts and serving gifts, verbal gifts and nonverbal gifts all given by Christ to the church for use of ministry in the body. These gifts are measured out. They are allotted by Christ and then dispensed by the Holy Spirit. And all that means is that not one of these gifts are a one-size-fits-all. There's not one gift that is just standard to every single Christian that's out there. They are uniquely and supernaturally proportioned and empowered as God sees fit for you and for me in order to serve a specific need at a specific time for a specific purpose within the church. That's that's why the best way, by the way, to discern what your spiritual gift is actually isn't going online and taking an online spiritual gift test. Is helpful in some regards as they can be, that's not how it's designed for us to be able to discern what our gifts are. The way that you discern your spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit has given you, proportioned by Christ, is by serving. Serving needs within the local church, performing ministry, that when you do it, it is blessed by God, it is for the good of another person, And it brings you pleasure in serving the Lord in it. And and, and if I can be honest, I think one of the reasons why so many folks really don't know what their spiritual gift is, is because they're not serving. They're on the sidelines, consuming. But the moment that you start to step in and start serving needs in the church and in the community, needs that maybe you don't at first enjoy doing and some that you do, just serving needs, you're going to begin to find out over time that what God has put in you as a gift begins to come out. And you'll know what that gift is in accordance with Christ's purposes. But let's seek to meet those needs. Neglecting to employ our spiritual gifts that God has so given us is actually an affront to Christ who went to war on the cross to purchase both you and I and to purchase the gifts that he's given for us. We see this in verses eight through 10. Listen to these words when Paul says, therefore, and he quotes Psalm 68 here. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And he then exposits kind of what that means in Psalm 68 when he says in verse nine, in saying this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also then ascended far above all the heavens that he might fulfill all things. Again, Paul is quoting Psalm 68 here. Psalm 68 is a victory hymn that was written by David when Israel had made their conquest of Jerusalem from the Jebusites and the triumphant ascension of god as the ark was carried up on top of mount zion and and really what would happen is a king when a king in those days would win a victory He would often ascend to the top of a hill, parading in front of his people and bringing with him the freed prisoners who were previously enslaved by their enemy, but have now been liberated and released from their captivity. And he would parade them up this hill as everybody's cheering. And then the king would then divide the spoils of war that he had captured from the enemy to his people to be used in this new kingdom together. And what Paul does is he likens that psalm to Jesus, that Jesus has now returned triumphantly from his descension, his incarnation, where he did battle on earth through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross in order to set free his people and release them from their captivity to sin, Satan, and death. And now having done that, he's ascended back triumphantly to the heavens where he's enthroned on high. And what he did in that moment is is he then gave gifts, the spoils of this war, to his people. The first gift that he gave was the Holy Spirit, as John chapter 14, Jesus promised that he would give once he ascended. He gave the Holy Spirit, and then through the Holy Spirit is the dispensing of the gifts that Christ has chosen for his people to have, the spoils of this war to now be used for the good of this new kingdom. And so we, as his people, have all been given gifts to be used for his glory and the good of his people. But the question is, how? How do we use these resources that we've been given? Well, I'm glad you asked. Verse 11, we see our second major point in this text, a gifted leadership. You see this in verse 11 when Paul says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now, I want you to notice here, we not only have gifts that are given to people in the church— But here we also have a people who are given as gifts for the church, gifted offices, as some have noted. What Paul is doing here is he's listing in chronological order the gifts of leadership that Christ first appointed to lay the foundation for the church there in the first century. He begins with apostles. Apostles is the term that literally means sent ones. Those early eyewitnesses of Christ who were appointed and commissioned to bind or establish on earth what Christ has bound or established in heaven and to loose or reject on earth what Christ has loosed or rejected in heaven. All that's from Matthew 16. These were the ones that God used to establish the never-changing doctrinal, doctrinal truths. In faith that has been once for all handed down to us, as Judas told us. But then he mentions prophets who were in conjunction with the apostles, those whom the Holy Spirit illumined in accordance with apostolic truth to provide guidance and exhortation and clarity for the church moving forward. And then he speaks of evangelists. Those were those who were sent forth from community to community, from town to town, city to city, unashamedly proclaiming the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, persuading entire towns and communities to repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ, thus bringing new converts into Christ's church. And then we see pastors and teachers, or in literally in the Greek, it's pastor-teacher. It's conjoined, two is one here. These local shepherds called elders whose job it was to gather those new converts from those evangelists and now care and nourish for them through the teaching of the Word of God. And many believe the first three were given by God as as gifts for the church universal, and the the latter two there are given for the church local. But the question is, what is this leadership for? Why did Christ give it? Well, again, I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 12. Here's our third movement in this text so that the church would be fully equipped for ministry. You see this in verse 12. They were given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, please note, the role of leadership in the church, according to the scriptures, is not that these leaders would use their platform for their own brand identity or their own self-promotion. It's not so leaders would use their platform to gain more followers on Twitter. It's not so that the leaders of the church would be primarily social event planners to coordinate the schedules and activities for everybody's social interaction in the church. It's not that these leaders are there to ensure that the felt wants and preferences of every single member in the church finds its own line item in the budget. That's not what church leadership is for. According to the scriptures here, the primary purpose for God appointing leaders in the church is to equip the body to employ their gifts into the mission and the service of the church. Now, the word equip that's used there in that passage is actually translated in a number of ways in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 4, the same word is used as translated mending, when the disciples were mending their nets, putting them back together. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, the word is translated prepared, speaking of how God brought the universe at its very beginning into its intended shape and order, preparing it for its existence. And then it's also translated in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, of restoring, of us restoring one another after we have fallen, making us whole again, bringing us into fitness. This is what God wants for his church. Intentional training, mending, restoring, and preparing for every member of his church so that we could be effective in deaconing. That's literally the word for service or ministry that we would be serving well in the church out of the equipping that we've received so that literally, literally translated here, the house of Christ, the body of Christ might be built up and established. But we go established for what? Well, why is it important that these leaders equip the the members to use their gifts for the service and ministry of the church that we would be built up? Built up for what? Well, again, I'm glad you asked. Our fourth movement, final movement in this text you see is in verses 13 through 16, resulting in an anchored maturity and fruitfulness as we serve on mission for our Lord. Notice the threefold purpose of equipping in verse 13. That is really the result of the one goal of being built up. You see in verse 13, Paul says, all of this until we attain To the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, and to mature manhood. That is the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Three things he lays out there as the result of this equipping unity of the faith. This is the fullness of the unity that we saw in verses one through six. Those doctrinal truths that hold us together, that we hold fast to, that are expressed and enjoyed together, these are solidified when we are equipping one another in ministry. And notice secondly, knowledge of the Son of God. Now this is more than just a cognitive, intellectual understanding of those truths about Christ. The word that's used here is epikinosis. It's a word that means a deep experiential knowledge and relationship with. Like this is what we're after in equipping. The the more that we equip and the more that the body uses their, their gifts to serve one another in ministry, the deeper our relationship grows with christ there's a difference, as you well know between knowing about someone and actually knowing someone, and the intention of equipping is that we would greater know and experience a relationship with Jesus. but notice thirdly as well maturity maturity is one of the things that we 're after in equipping so that we would we would grow up in our faith, but what's the standard of that maturity well, notice he says it's measured by the fullness of the stature of Christ. In other words, the more that we equip and the more that we serve one another, the more we'll actually look like Jesus. The more we'll demonstrate godliness at work in our life in keeping with the character and ministry of Jesus Christ. But I want you to see also in verse 14. Notice in verse 14, is actually the same affirmation as verse 13, but it's from the negative. It's just not what we not what we gain. Um, Uh, as a result of equipping, but what we won't have if we don't equip as well. Look at verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness in deceitful schemes. In other words, we're no longer to be children, but we're to become adults. We're no longer storm-tossed, but we're anchored, all when we begin to equip as a church, meaning we're not susceptible. The more we equip in the church, we're not susceptible now to every wind and wave of doctrine that comes along in our culture, every heresy or every cult that comes along and tries to ensnare us. Nor are we drawn into the clickbait and and the uh, hashtag culture of every social media agenda that gets drawn up in the culture around us, but rather we are rooted in the truth, In the image of Christ as we see characterized in verse 15 and 16, when he says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The ultimate gain is that love would be demonstrated both in and through us. At the end of the day, what Paul is saying here in this passage is that when you see a church full of gifted membership, being equipped by gifted leadership, so that every member can employ their gifts for the good of another, you will find a church that is growing and maturing in such a way that it looks like Jesus, it loves like Jesus, all in order to faithfully fulfill the mission of Jesus. This is what Northway Church is here for. Our job is not to cater to mediocrity by simply creating goods and services for a nominal Christianity to gather on the weekends and simply consume. Now, I I believe as one of my mentors, Howard Hendricks, told me, and I've said it many times here before, Our job as a church is to make thoroughbreds, not mules. Y'all know the difference between a thoroughbred and a mule? If you were to take thoroughbreds from the Kentucky Derby, those horses, they have a genealogy that is so rich, even today, you can trace their genealogy all the way back to the Arabian desert of horses. And they are known for reproducing strong lines in their genealogy. You know what a mule is? A mule is a horse that mates with a donkey. And it gets an animal that for its life, you can pack a ton of load on it and it'll carry it for a while. But you know what happens to a mule when it dies? It ends. See, the thing with a mule is it can't reproduce. It has no ability to reproduce its own kind. Its legacy dies with itself. And you see the sad danger of many churches in our culture is that as they grow old, and many studies, almost nearly every study shows this, is that the tendency is that a church, as a church ages, as a church gets older, the more it is likely to turn away from equipping towards mission and instead focusing on entertaining towards comfort. And in many ways, churches move over time from being battleships to cruise ships, from being missionary launch pads to country clubs, to being fishers of men, to becoming keepers of the aquarium, which sadly results in many Christians having to go outside the local church in order to be equipped and trained for ministry through parachurch organizations. And that's no slam on parachurch organization. I'm the product of a lot of faithful parachurches that invest in me, but it's really an indictment on the local church because in many ways we have failed in the area of equipping. And so at Northway, you need to know this, We don't want to play church. We want to be the church. We want to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and that means it's going to take all of us, not just some of us. So what does that look like here? Let me put some skin on this as we wrap things up. What does this look like at Northway Church? Well, I want to start broad and then kind of go narrow, maybe speak organizationally and then to organically, what it looks like in equipping. Broadly, though, uh, organizationally, Certainly, we, we begin with our Sunday gatherings. Our gatherings are important as we assemble each and every week, even in spaces like this right now. But as, as a church, we believe that we are a believer's church. What that simply means is though we are always sensitive to uh, non-believers who are in our midst and always welcoming and want our services to be engaging and edifying to them, at the same time, what we recognize is the church is a gathering of believers, and first and foremost, we gather so that we can allow ourselves to remember and rehearse the gospel through the ordinances of baptism and communion, so that we can sit under the counsel of God's word and recalibrate and realign our hearts to his kingdom purposes and his glory, that we can lift our affections and worship unto him, that we can encourage one another all the more, especially as the day of the Lord approaches. Like, our gatherings are important spaces, and there is much equipping that is done there. But at the end of the day, we, we would say that's not, uh, that's not where we want to land, ultimately, as a church. There's more to it than just our Sunday gatherings. And that's why we love our gospel communities, because these are spaces for our large gathering to become small. And so what we have is our gospel communities, which allow us to, to know and be known by one another, allow us to make known the gospel and the communities around us by which these, these groups gather, to challenge one another, to sharpen one another in our mission, vision, and values. And then within our gospel communities are smaller groups that are C3 groups of accountability to hold one another tight and faithfully to that mission, vision, vision. And, values. and so there's a quipping that's going on there by our members who are rising up and leading these groups and shepherding in there. Um, certainly membership is a space for us. We want meaningful belonging. And so our membership classes and our membership in general, we want these to be spaces to where we can proclaim and teach what it is we hold to. And these doctrinal truths that we are tethered to and unashamed of and how this looks like. Um, it gets done in our church together as a faithful membership. In addition to that, we have a specialized training platform that we launched last year called Northway Training. And in this, we want to focus on several aspects of biblical exposition, worldview and theology. We want to train on care and counseling. We want to train on mission and mobilization. And we want to do it holistically, engaging the head, the heart and the hands, the holistic mission of the church. Now, that form, there's form and function. Function is the equipping of the saints. The forms change. And right now we're in a unique season of COVID-19 where a lot of these forms and plus the tornado have inhibited us on some of the spaces we get to leverage, but it doesn't stop the function. We've got to continue in this season ahead. We also have equipping classes where we can get very practical and speak to areas where most people find themselves, uh, with uh, business's mission and faith and, and work, we can equip towards financial stewardship, equip towards evangelism and discipleship. These are enrichment classes that we can help supplement and teach to one another. But it even gets more specialized from there. Uh, we we have a desire uh, with our go groups to begin taking members of our church and really exposing them to some of the needs of the community and the opportunity to proclaim the gospel in the places where they live, work, and play, and do that more faithfully. And even from there, draw folks out who would be willing to heed the call to go and give the gospel away in areas of the world where the gospel is not preached and proclaimed. And so we want to train folks to that end. We want to have a sending pipeline that Sen points out, sends folks out. We want, to, we want to have platforms for internships. We always want to be a church where there are Interns being trained for the next generation of leadership, where there are not just leaders, but co leaders along, flanking alongside our leaders in the church. Just the same way when my children were born in the hospital, when I was in that delivery room, there wasn't just one medical professional that was in that room. There was also three other white coats that were sitting in that room as well, residents who were there learning, being equipped, and training. Now, I don't necessarily want them performing the C section. And delivering the child in there, I want the the expert in there, but at the same time, I I want them to be there assisting because that's the next generation of leaders. And it's no different in the church. We always, we never want this to be a place where we're hinged upon one personality to feed us, where we are attracted to one personality to try to carry the church. When that happens, we are robbing the body of what Christ has ransomed them for. We want to see a church where everybody turns away from the main speaker and can turn and face one another and engage one another with the gifts that God had given them. And so there's organizational ways to equip. But let me just state frankly, there's also organic ways and maybe more than ever in this season that we're in, where we don't have the spaces to gather and train and equip like we long to. We're going to have to do this more organically. And that's the body just being the body. There are needs that need to be met right now. And there are folks who have the gifts to meet them. Financial, human resources, and supernatural empowerments that the Lord gives in order to meet those needs. I I love the fact that just in the past couple of weeks, we've had a ton of members in our church assemble into a COVID-19 response team who are ready on the draw to go serve the needs of the community in specialized ways. That's not me doing it. That's not our staff doing it. That's members doing it. People who've been equipped to go serve those needs. And we wanna offer a lot of resources as much as we can in the season, both on our website and in our weekly email to help support and resource the church so that they can be the church. We can be the church to those who are in need. But church, understand this, this is one of our values at Northway, equipping. And we are gonna be unashamedly committed to it as long as the Lord will allow us to gather as a church here. And I just wanna encourage us so that lest we become like soldiers or medical professionals who are given the instruments and the resources that we need, but have no training to actually use them. We wanna be a church that's faithful to equipping. So with that in mind, I'd love to pray for us now and let's go be the church this week. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word that you've given us. Thank you for what Christ has provided for us on the cross, not only purchasing us, releasing us from our own captivity, but then giving us the spoils of war through the Holy Spirit, dispensing a variety of gifts that you've empowered us with, that we might use them and leverage them for the good of the church, that we might be built up as a church, anchored and fruitful for the mission and the ministry that you've given us. God, help us to be that kind of church for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name. Amen.